We all want to be happier, but how do we get there? First, we start by realizing happiness is not a destination. Being happy consists of micro action steps every single day. I'm your host, Brittany King, and I'm here to guide you along the way. Welcome back to the Positively Real Podcast. I'm your host and your coach, Brittany King, and I'm so excited about this conversation today. I have a wonderful guest, Stella Luosho. Did I say it right? Did I get it right? Beautiful. You get to listen to her beautiful French accent for the next 30 minutes or so, so you're welcome. But Stella is a certified health and wellness coach, and she's also the author of a new book that just came out called Sleep It Off, which is all about the guide to losing weight, balancing diabetes, and feeling your best through rest. I mean, that in itself like sums up everything that I love and believe in is like how rest is our health and how it like is everything to our well-being and our vitality. So when Stella reached out to me about possibly collaborating and being on the show, I was like done and done because in the past couple of years, I've become a total freak around sleep. Like I have like these non-negotiables that like sleep is above all else. And that's probably because when I was younger, I used to say I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I like kick myself because that's the fastest way to a shorter lifespan is by not getting sleep. So uh, something had happened and I definitely value and prioritize sleep. And if something interferes with that, I switch things around. So that is why we are here today to talk all about sleep, all about health, vitality, and everything in between. So Stella, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Brittany. I'm super excited about this conversation too. I cannot wait to to start this conversation. First, I'm curious, was this your first book that you wrote? Yes, it was actually. And I'm very glad that I, did, I didn't know how much work it would be because <laughs> I would not have done it otherwise, but I'm very happy I did it. Yeah. Um, Cause it came out like it came out like right in the middle of this pandemic. So like amazing to get that done. Yeah. You know, when the, when the pandemic hit and I was hearing like everybody being super excited because they were getting some extra free time and people were happy about it. And I was like super busy and, and kind of like running, you know, like a, a chicken with no head. Uh-huh. I think that's what you say in English. And I thought, okay, I really need something to focus on. I need a project. And I had started that book two years before. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to finish that book by the time uh, the pandemic is over. Well, I finished it way earlier than that. <laughs> the pandemic was <laughs> still going. <laughs> Unfortunately, but yeah. uh, that was a way for me to keep my, um, my focus and to not be all over the news all the time, you know, trying to check on the latest mm-hmm. uh, thing happening. So it was a very, um, it was very healthy for me to have yeah. that project going. That's amazing. I mean, that's incredible because I think it's like so amazing to take that like nervous energy of like things that are going on in the world that we don't have control over and then put it towards something that's super productive and helpful for you. And then in return, the contents of the book 
are so helpful for everyone else. So it has that positive ripple effect. So thank you for, for making it during such an uncertain time. So why don't we start with you giving an introduction about who you are, what you're about, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I was born and raised in France, as you as you mentioned, and um, I moved to the States in 2000 and moved to Seattle in 2005. I was already an adult with um, a few kids at that time, and um, I started working for the website that you probably know and your listeners probably know too. It's allrecipes.com, the yeah. cooking website, right? And I was managing their um, their French website. And part of the job was to create recipes. I created like over 700 recipes for them. But another aspect of the job was to answer questions from users and, you know, from home cooks who are trying to use our recipes. And when I did that, I realized the distress that was existing around eating and eating healthy and yet eating tasty. And I was... Um, witnessing the, the, the guilt that people have about eating treats and eating some sugar and all that. And it was really breaking my heart because it was taking me back like decades earlier when I was struggling with my weight, um, gaining like 50 pounds within six months and not being able to get things under control. And I was jumping from one diet to another, you know, like meals, um, replacement, all that kind of stuff. And and I realized, oh my gosh, actually, what I finally solved, um, applying to me, right? Those people are, are really struggling with that. And I need to help. Like, I have to help. So that's when I decided to become a, a health and wellness coach and went back to school, you know, get certifications in, in nutrition and in health coaching. And, and that's how I decided to to become a coach and to help more people reconcile the idea of living, um, eating healthy and living a healthy life together with the idea of having fun and enjoying life and enjoying food. Um, and it's, this is still possible to do. We just have to understand how to do it. And that's what I'm all about. It's helping people eat healthier live a healthier life without giving up the foods they love and the activities that they love mm. in life. I love that. Isn't it? It's always so amazing when you look at like your, your journey, your path and like how it, it changes the trajectory. Just one simple thought at the time that like completely shifts how you do everything. I love always hearing like the Genesis stories, like where it all began. So this episode, I'm, I'm super excited because, you know, when we first started talking about what we would, you know, be putting out to my audience, we we're talking about sleep and then how it like evolved into talking about like sugar and the, the correlation between cravings and sleep. I was like, yes, this is so important. Uh, specifically, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but I'm with my clients doing like a little reset. And a lot of that has to do with eliminating processed added sugar and just focusing on natural sources of sugar. So this was came at the perfect time. So I'm like, this is very, um, this is very relevant in my life and my clients. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that um, is also relevant in theirs. Cause I don't know about you if you're listening, but 
maybe the holidays you might have indulged in some some extra sugar and you might be feeling it like I'm feeling it now my skin is purging after all of the sugar that I had during the holidays so it's an interesting correlation with um, our wealth our our wealth our health and well-being which in return is our health or wealth (laughs) anyway (laughs) it's a tongue twister so let's I want to start with emotional eating because that is a hot topic and I don't think a lot of people even know you know why they even emotionally eat and what that means so let's talk about like what is emotional eating and why do we do it mm-hmm. yeah so you know emotional eating um, which is actually just eating without really needing it, without being hungry, just eating to probably fulfill something different, right? And the very common um, perspective is that emotional eating is purely psychologic, right? It's it's us eating our emotions. And this is um, a big part of it, indeed, right? But um, emotional eating is not just linked to psychological things happening and to us being maybe unhappy or unsatisfied or stressed out. Um, emotional eating is also directly, directly linked to physiological mechanisms. So our body, the way our body functions, is also leading to um, emotional eating. So when we try to tackle emotional eating, it's great to focus on our own emotional well-being, our mental health, but it's not sufficient most of the time. We also need to look at what's happening in my body that makes me eat emotionally. And there are, um, I would say there are four main things um, that happen in our body that make us eat emotionally. The first thing, and you mentioned it earlier when you mentioned uh, whole foods. So the first thing is that our body lacks nutrients because our food lacks nutrients because processed food is very poor in nutrients and our body is programmed to make sure that we are not going to starve. Our body is constantly doing everything it can to make sure that we are not starving. So if our food doesn't give us um, all the nutrients that we need, the vitamins, the the minerals, uh, the, the macros, everything we need, our body is going to make sure that we want more food so that maybe the body is going to get a chance to get the nutrients that it needs if that makes sense. So that's really the first thing that's happening. Like our food being very poor in nutrients leads to our body asking for more food, more and more and more. So that's one super important one. The the second one is that we are tired. We lack energy. We're not sleeping enough. And the thing is, um, when our body is tired, It knows that carbs and sugar is the best source of energy, like the fastest source of energy for the body, for the brain. Our brain functions on sugar. We need sugar, glucose, for the brain to function. That's the number one fuel source, right? So if our body is tired and sleepy, if we feel, you know, like sluggish, 
then we are programmed to make sure that we want more carbs. We want more sugar. So that's happening too. And there's nothing we can do against that. It's biological. Like it's, it's physiological. Um, the third thing um, can be that we, la- and it's more like on the emotional side of things, but it's still also happening. Like it's hormone related. So it's like if, if we're not getting out of our life enough happiness, enough recognition, enough connection, we have a lack of serotonin. And serotonin is what they call the happy chemical. And if we don't have enough of that, our body, again, is going to try and, you know, bring things back in balance so it will want us to get more serotonin. And one easy, easy way to produce serotonin is to eat sugar mm. and carbs. That doesn't happen when, when we eat protein. It doesn't boost the serotonin production. But when we eat treats, <laughs> it does. Or when we eat the pasta. and you know. So this is, this is the third thing that happens in our body that can really lead to sugar cravings, but you know, also like all the baked goods that we often want. This is also one of the reasons why we want them. And I would say the fourth thing that's happening is, again, very much linked to sleep, is that if we do not get enough sleep, our um, appetite hormones are not going to be in balance. So the hormone that makes us hungry which is called ghrelin, is going to be super high. So we're going to be hungry all the time. And then the hormone that tells us we are full after we've eaten is going to be super low if we don't sleep enough. So not only we're going to eat all the time or want to eat all the time because of the ghrelin, but also when we eat, we are not going to feel satisfied or full. So what are we going to do? You're going to reach for more. Mm-hmm. And those are the four, I think, the four main aspects that are not emotional, but that are really physical mm-hmm. and that um, make us eat emotionally when we're not hungry. Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, it's like, there's always, you know, it's like, that is always a symptom, right? It's like, it's a symptom of something going on, like the root. So how do you know? Like, is it always like those areas, are they all happening at once or is it one over the other? Or how do you know which one is causing this like emotional eating? So, of course, it takes, uh, it takes a lot of, you know, observing what's going on, uh, knowing if we're sleeping enough. I mean, a lot of us are convinced that we sleep enough, right? Because, well, first thing in the morning we have coffee and, and then... <laughs> We we can uh, we can make it through the day this way, but I mean I I, I personally was uh, thinking just the way you thought when you were a kid, like I will sleep um, when mm-hmm. I'm dead, and then um, I totally hit a wall uh, in my 40s, and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, there is something going on here. I'm gaining weight again, and mm-hmm. you know, like I want to eat sugar all the time, or I need to be stressed all the time. So one thing that I, I think is very important is to first check and make sure that we are sleeping enough. Um, 
to if if we are sleeping enough, then maybe we can look somewhere else, right? But um, so many of us are not sleeping enough. And the best way to, to see if we are is probably to really um, get off of anything that can help us function through life without enough sleep. So that's caffeine, you know, energy drinks, tea, but also super high stress because that's a way to stay awake is to be really stressed, whether positively or negatively. And um, I had another one in mind and then it escaped. <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, what was it? Oh yeah, and workout, yeah. Uh, workout can be a great substitute for sleep. This is what I was doing back in the time. Like I felt like I was not sleep deprived um, but I had replaced sleep with a lot of stress and I was working out like 13 hours every week uh, because otherwise I would crash. So every time I would feel like really tired, I would go for a quick run mm -hmm. and that worked. So a lot of us really need to pause, slow down and look at, am I really sleeping enough or am I trying to compensate for my lack of sleep with other things mm -hmm. and I have uh, what I've done is I've put a um, I've created a, a sleep quiz uh, on my website that people can take and you answer a few questions and it gives you a pretty good idea of whether you're sleeping enough or maybe not quite or or maybe you're completely uh, sleep deprived but I think it's really self-awareness is is critical there mm -hmm. and it's about um, trying to find out what it is that uh, we could improve. And I would tell people, you know, sleep, sleeping better is not going to fix your cravings problem. Mm -hmm. But if you're not sleeping enough, there's nothing you'll be able to do that will fix your cravings problem. So it's really the number one step, I think, to, mm -hmm. to take into consideration. Because it's not just about the length of sleep, it's also the quality of the sleep right. and when we sleep, right? Because all those hormones are released at different times mm -hmm. um, of the night. Hmm. That's, I mean, that is so interesting. It's like, it's not, if you get enough sleep, it's not going to necessarily like fix it on its own. It's going to take other steps. But if you don't, then it's like you're further away from the solution. So then I'm curious, like, because I... Um, uh, like I'm all about protecting my sleep at all costs, you know, staying away from technology, uh, close to bedtime, um, you know, powering down super early, not eating my meal close to bedtime and all of that. But I'm curious, like, how do you know if you're getting the quality sleep? Cause I know everybody's different, but like quality over quantity, um, you know, because some people can sleep for 10 hours and not feel well rested at all. But I'm just curious of like, how do you know 100% certain that you are getting enough sleep and quality? Uh, we, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's really, it's a tricky question, right? It's not easy because we know, oh yeah, I'm supposed to sleep that many hours. And yet uh, I am exhausted all the time. So I think what's really um, important is to observe and see how do you feel in the morning and throughout the day if you're not using any crutches to keep you awake and and um, and focused and active. And so, if you're not, you know, 
relying on anything external to live your life and you feel great, then most likely you're sleeping enough and you're getting the right sleep and the good quality sleep. Mm -hmm. But if as soon as you quit coffee, tea, um, you know, slow down your, your usual rhythm of life, if you crash or if you feel like, wow, it's hard to get through the day, then you know maybe you get enough sleep but not the right quality sleep. So it's really about like being very honest about what crutches we're relying on to live our days. And if there are none of them and we feel great, then we're good and we're fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I know personally, like I, I drink coffee uh, mostly because I love it, but I get hooked very easily. So about four times a year, I do a two-week no coffee um, challenge thing. Mm -hmm. And every time I can see that the first few days are really hard to go through because I rely on caffeine um, really to be energized and, and to feel better. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, the, the problem with that is um, coffee is not making us more aware or more awake or more focused it's just keeping keeping us from noticing that we're tired mm -hmm. right. Caffeine does, right mm -hmm. so it, it's um it's good to really look at what we do and see if some of it is keeping us awake instead of us sleeping well mm -hmm. yeah i think that it is so true it's like it's not that it keeps you awake it just like distracts you from the fact that you're actually tired or run down. So what would be a suggestion that you have for someone that wants to improve their quality of sleep? So to, to improve the quality of sleep, there um, I would say there are two, two things I would focus on. The first is to get the best sleep possible, which is deep sleep. To get that, we need to be in harmony with our... Um, circadian rhythm right so we need to listen to our body when it's telling us that it's tired especially at night so the 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 deep sleep happens mostly at the beginning of the night we you know we go through cycles sleep cycles so we go from being awake to light sleep to deep sleep to REM sleep which is when we dream and as we go through the night that cycle changes a little bit in proportion so the deep sleep at first has takes a lot of room in the sleep cycle but as we keep going through the night the deep sleep gets um, less and less room in the cycle so if we have a tendency to postpone our sleep time our bedtime which so many of us do because well there is that one last thing to do. And if I do this now, I won't have to do it tomorrow morning. And, and I want to have a life and I want to do this with uh, my spouse. And, you know, we push it, we push it, we push it. And that is the number one obstacle to good deep sleep, actually, because then we go to bed at a time that's not quite in harmony with what our body wants. And then we end up getting less of the deep sleep. The first one is listen to your body 
and try to see, you know, when are you really tired? And then go to bed at that time or a little bit before to make sure that you're not missing out on the deep sleep, which is the very restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the first thing. And the second thing would be to really try um, to stack the odds in your favor when it comes to your brain waves to slow down because this is what's going to allow us to be in deep sleep. There are electric waves uh, going on in there all the time and the slower they are, the deeper the sleep. Mm-hmm. And to help our um, brain to slow down, you know, we can use um, relaxa- relaxation techniques, stretching, doing all those things that calm us down, that make us feel at peace and calm and not be on alert. So we can use all the techniques that will help us relax and also try to eliminate everything that's keep that is going to keep us alert. And the screens, the phone, the laptop, those are the number one things to reduce because they keep our brain in a state of alertness mm-hmm. that goes well way beyond, you know, us turning off the phone. It it keeps it keeps going for a while. And if we're alert, if our brain is alert, that keeps us from entering deep sleep. Mm. So this is something also very important to do, probably, you know, like t- turning off the phones, turning off the screens mm-hmm. at least one hour before bedtime, if possible, more than that, and making sure that we are not tempted by the phone right there to, to check, you know, check one last thing and, and oh, did I get a response of, on this or on that? So trying to really focus on letting our brain be completely unplugged. Mm. It's really about unplugging. Mm-hmm. Mm. So good. Yeah. I mean, I think I needed to hear that reminder because we don't, we don't watch a lot of TV, my husband and I, but if we get into a show, we do. And I mean, we finish around, like we get into bed around 830 every night, but it has been interesting because typically don't watch TV before bed. And since we've been watching the show designated survivor, I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but 10 out of 10 phenomenal show, but it definitely, I could tell that it was messing with my sleep because not only are we watching TV before bed, it was also very intense. Like it's a very intense show and they always end on a cliffhanger, like the ultimate cliffhanger show. So then my brain is like thinking about this show before I go to sleep. Um, and I don't know, I don't think I've been getting like the quality. I mean, I know that I haven't been getting the quality cause I know the contrast of like having the boundaries with technology before bed. So it's very interesting how it's just like, just those little shifts. Cause when you don't do it and then you do, you can really experience the contrast. So what about, I mean, I personally, my phone sleeps in the kitchen. Like I don't even bring it into the bedroom anymore, but what about people that like have their phones with them before they go to bed, they plug it in. It's on their bedstand. It's the last thing they see before bed. And the first thing they see when they wake up, what are suggestions that you have for them? So the very first thing, uh, and, and you know what? I have my phone on my 
that table at all times uh, because two of my kids are in college and I want to make sure that if they need me, you know, I'm right there. But for me, uh, you know, having it on do not disturb. So you just selectioning a few people only who can go through not having, you know, everybody be able to, to reach you anytime and also not putting it um, necessarily on airplane mode or silence, which I tried to do, but then I was so nervous that my kids would have tried to reach me and then I would watch the phone and see, oh no, okay, I didn't miss anything. So really finding what works best for you, but the do not disturb um, function, I think is really great. Uh, What I like also is putting it a little bit further away so that you can, if you really want to check it and look at something, you have to get up um, and grab it. Um, and, and just turning off all the notifications, you know, like the social media can really wait until the next day. The news can also wait until the next day for most people. We don't need that. And this is something that keeps us alert, like, something could happen you know Mm -hmm. the other thing is really that's really really important is to make sure that the environment is safe because us not feeling safe in our bedroom is also something Mm -hmm. that is going to keep us on alert and we want to avoid that so feeling safe can mean very different things for different people right it can it can be just not having that uh big glass frame above your bed Mm -hmm. because maybe unconsciously you're thinking oh what if it falls right little things like that and it can be also shutting the door and locking the door if that's what makes you feel um better like it's it's a lot of things that are very personal Mm -hmm. but really making sure that you feel completely safe um when when you go to bed and i know for me one thing that makes me feel unsafe is if I know that there will be some noise. It's not the noise that wakes me up. It's just the idea that maybe there will be a noise. (laughs) This is just crazy, right? But um, I need to sleep completely alone in a place where there won't be anyone bothering me. And I have ended up like sleeping in the trunk of my car sometimes, sleeping in the garage, like I've been sleeping on the couch for years just because I know those spaces are safe for me, not safe from aggression because this is not what I am afraid of, but safe from noise. Mm. So everybody has to find what it is that they need to really feel safe about and then address the problem and sometimes make Difficult decisions, such as, you know, when I decided to go to the couch officially, because we didn't have extra room in the, <laughs> in the house, that was a tough decision to make uh, for my couple. And, you know, so we need to really identify what it is that we need and then make the decisions that might have to be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that hundred percent because we, um, I unplug the Wi-Fi at night. Like I take it to the next level and we have a, um, we have like the nest security system all around the house. <laughs> My husband is like, so you know that, that, that like, you're not going to get any recordings because it's not connected. <laughs> and I was like, 
Honestly, at this point, I rather not have the Wi-Fi going while we're trying to sleep, you know, and it's like so funny because it is like you kind of have to figure out what what the trade-off is and what is, you know, the non-negotiable and what's most important. But to me, it's like finding what works. I feel like I'm still kind of in that process of figuring out like what is my optimal sleep condition. And that's what I spend a lot of my time like figuring out just like through practice and trial and error. I'm I'm curious about temperature. Like what's the ideal temperature for sleeping? So it, it will again of course depend on on everyone. We all have different requirements requirements, but generally you want to make sure that it's not too hot in your bedroom. I the recommendations are somewhere around like 68 degrees uh, in Fahrenheit. I think I'm terrible with degrees Fahrenheit uh, and stuff. Yeah. I'm more Celsius person, <laughs> but you know it's around there. And the thing is, um, we often uh, talk about you know how uh, the the room is supposed to be pretty chilly. But it's also about uh, your bedding, you know, how your bedding might impact how you sleep and even, you know, what you're eating for dinner, because this is all going to make your temperature rise during the night. And that's why um, I worked with a lot of women who were going through uh, pre-menopause or menopause, and they were telling me, you know, about those night sweats and stuff that would wake them up every single night and ruin their sleep and actually just changing what they would eat for dinner so that digestion is not producing as much energy and Mm -hmm. as much you know heat would really be helpful Mm -hmm. Uh, and they would end up sleeping through the night and be like yeah I, I, I can still sometimes you know feel hot but the night sweats are pretty much gone and so temperature is critical because the temperature of our body is what is going to make us release melatonin or not, melatonin being the sleep hormone. So having a pretty chilly room is better than having a mm-hmm. hot, you know, mm-hmm. hot place. But also, like, if you feel, you know, some people are have very cold extremities, like their feet get cold and and you want to avoid that. You don't want your feet or your hands or your head to get cold because if your body um, notices that your extremities are cold, your body is going to try and warm you up and and create energy and and warmth. So you want to avoid that. So having socks, wearing socks if if needed, um, even, you know, when it's really cold, I know when I go camping, um, I always have a hat, even if it's in the summer, I want to have a hat to make sure that I am not going to, my body is not going to think that I'm freezing and is not going to try and produce more and more and more heat, which would wake me up uh, during the night. So, and bedding is also extremely important. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that um, for me, I need to have layers. You know, living in Seattle, everything is about having layers. We always have to have layers, but even at night. So I always have to have, you know, like to have tank top and then long sleeve shirt on top and then I can I can just strip at night mm-hmm. to accommodate for my body temperature. Hmm. So well, I think it's Oh sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah. It's it's important to also again try to see what is it that 
makes me sleep better. And if you wake up every single night being too hot, then there is action to take right there. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what um, bed sheets do you recommend? So again, um, like it really, it, it, it really depends because for instance, some people like to have light, you know, like light um, bedding and other people who I'm, I belong to, I need this security, the safety of a very heavy uh, blanket. Mm-hmm. So whatever the the season, I need something Same. heavy. Same. So I really, like that yeah. like cozy type of feeling, but like you get, I do get hot or like, I don't know if it's the bedding or the sheet, the duvet cover, but it does get hot even when it's cold out. Yeah. So that's really something to kind of try and experiment with. I know that a lot of people love the the weighted blankets, you know, mm-hmm. just because it provides you that sense of security and safety. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, with the sheets and, and the bedding and the mattress, um, it, it's really important to find that trade-off, as you were saying, because if you work well on your bedding, but then you're not feeling safe, you're not going to sleep well. Right. So I think usually, you know, natural natural um fabrics you know cotton wool like the more natural fibers usually help mm. with body heat regulation and and control the other thing that yeah i w- i wanted to mention that you know memory foam is very much uh trendy mm-hmm. but a lot of it is often synthetic and that can also really make you overheat at night. So it's something to look into, you know, look at what's, what's in your mattress and, and, and you can always add a little cotton pad or, you know, trying to, to use as much as possible fabrics that are um, more natural. If that's, if that's an issue, if, if temperature is an issue, but the, the number one um, temperature and heat creator, <laughs> I think is the dinner Mm-hmm. is dinner and meat uh even if it's poultry like everything that you know fatty food everything that's a bit harder to digest mm-hmm. is going to make us create a lot of heat mm-hmm. and the first thing when i work with someone who's really struggling with their sleep the very first thing we do is okay let's do 10 days of the bowl of soup at night mm-hmm. and that's it mm-hmm. and see what happens with that vegetarian soup and most of the time right away there is an improvement Mm, yeah so you're looking for like as far as nutrition before bedtime you're looking for easily digestible not super heavy uh, so probably not carb heavy either like a little bit in somewhere in the middle so a lot of vegetables a lot of vegetables and um uh, if possible, very little. Yeah, I, I personally avoid meat completely at night. But and when I say meat, a lot of people think red meat. But no, for me, if I have a piece of chicken, which sometimes I want to have, but then I know the night is not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and with age, it's been really getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the number one sleep killer is really alcohol, even just a glass of wine mm-hmm. or a beer this is going to mm-hmm. think, oh yeah, it helps me relax. And, mm-hmm. But no, there is a second effect and it is completely like it, it makes us wake up. It's dehydrating. It um, 
doesn't keep it keeps us from sleeping deeply mm-hmm. also it affects the the depth of sleep so no alcohol for dinner if sleep is your uh, priority personally i make that a priority most of the time but sometimes you know i i decide consciously that okay i'm not going to sleep well tonight it's fine i'm going to have a glass right Right. It's a choice. It's a choice. And it's not, you know, it's, it, I'm so similar, Stella. And like, it is the trade off and looking at like the big picture. And it's like, okay, it's, it's not the norm. It's like the occasion. So it balances out because it's like, you know, finding that, um, harmony in all the areas of your life. You know, I don't necessarily believe in balance, but I think finding harmony in all the things that you want to do and how it all fits in together. Um, so I'm curious, I want to bring it back to sugar cravings because you mentioned that if you aren't getting quality sleep, the sugar cravings will like, it will be so much harder to, to manage those cravings. So you mentioned the hormones and how that's all connected. So how do we, other than sleep, cause we know that sleep quality sleep is a, um, important ingredient for kicking sugar cravings to the curb, what else can we do to manage our cravings? Uh-huh. So I would say um, once sleep has been taken care of, <laughs> or at the same time, uh, whole food, eating whole food. Um, because what we want is to tell our body and to prove to our body that we are taking good care of it. And our body needs nutrients. So whole food is where the nutrients are. So a diet very rich in whole foods and vegetables and, um, you know, beans and all the good stuff. Uh, if possible, not too much uh, animal product, you know, mostly plant mm-hmm. and whole food. This is, um, this is a number one, uh, with the sleep, this is number one thing to do. Um, so that would be that would be two already. And then the third thing I would uh, recommend is that we really need to stop abusing our body and to stop starving our body. You know, like we go on a on a cleanse and then we go on a diet and then we work out like crazy and then we stop and then we go back to it. And the thing is, again, our body is doing everything in its power to keep us from starving because our body wants us as a, you know, as a species to survive. So what we need to do is to really uh, bring that confidence, that trust back between our behavior and our body. Our body needs to trust that it's going to be taken care of. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that you brought that up. I literally was just talking about this with my clients today because we are doing this 21-day mind-body reset. And the first part of it is cutting out flour and sugar for two weeks, kind of, you know, just that little like reset to see how your body, you know, the the withdrawals and like the experiences that you have um, in those two weeks and like the thoughts that you have about it. But what we kept talking about is like when you have a plan to eat a certain type of food, whole food, nutritious food, food that nourishes you. And then you go against that plan, you're losing self-trust. So the whole point, like I, I strongly believe that when you have a plan to eat a certain way, and then you follow through with that plan, it's the 
best way to build self-trust with yourself because you're saying, Hey, like, I know this is for your well-being. I know this is for long-term. Like maybe I don't feel different today, but if I continue to do this in the long-term delay, you know, down the road, I'm going to feel amazing. So it's like that delayed gratification and it all starts with building self-trust. And I love that you said that. So in that, you know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of us women in particular, we have this all or nothing mentality. So we're like, I ate the piece of chocolate. Now the whole entire, my whole, my whole eating plan, my whole diet. And when I say diet, I mean, lifestyle, not like diet culture. Cause that's not it at all. My whole diet's gone out the window. I'm just going to continue to eat crappy all day long because I just deserve to feel crappy. Like we have this all or nothing mentality and I've caught myself in it too, but I'm like that consciousness, the awareness, why do we have this all or nothing mentality? What can we do about it? And what can we do when we slip up? I know that's a couple of questions in one, but I'll try to keep track of them, even though my memory is terrible. You're bringing bring me back on track. But so, well, why do we have that mentality, uh, all or nothing mentality? Um, there, there are probably many reasons, you know, Many of them, I don't know. It's like, why is someone a perfectionist? I don't know. But there's one thing for sure uh, is that it is way more, um, way easier and more straightforward to have that all or nothing mentality. You know, it's like when you look at life in black or white, mm-hmm. rather than looking at all the shades of gray in the middle, mm-hmm. it's way easier actually, to know where you stand. So I think that's one of the reasons. That's why we love those um, super restrictive uh, diets, mm-hmm. you know, that are like, you cannot eat carbs or you cannot eat fat or you because it's so straightforward. Right. And that makes our life easier. Mm-hmm. Actually, although it also turns it into um, hell, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's like not sustainable. It's like that quick fix, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's nothing about that. Like in the moment, like, sure, you might lose weight, but if you don't work on the mindset around it, it's just going to, you're just going to gain the weight back again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I would say, you know, about 70% of my clients do have that all or nothing mentality. And I do too. Mm-hmm. And my goal is really not to change people or even change myself. What I try to do, though, is to work with that and to change what all in the all or nothing means. Mm-hmm. And when we make that all more reachable, more accessible, then we can actually hit the all in the all or nothing way more often. And again, we built that trust that we were you were talking about, right? So success after success after success. Mm-hmm. And then we finally feel that, yeah, actually, I can do that and I will do that. So mm-hmm. for me, that's more about, yeah, trying to change the all in the all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is also bringing perspective, as you were saying, like if we want our efforts to be sustainable, we have to make really small changes instead of like, instead of the big revolutions, right? So I I, I always tell my my clients, think about it as, you know, you're a ship in the middle of the ocean and there are this iceberg there that you want to avoid, right? You don't need to go, you know, like left 
and right and left and right. You just make a one or two percent change in direction. And once you get to where the iceberg is, you your course will have changed so much mm. that you will have avoided it. So it's not about like changing so many things uh-huh. and, and being drastic and taking mm. like really tough measures that you cannot follow through with. It's about making small changes mm. and you will end up, you know, being in a better position to sustain them while being happy because otherwise, you know, you end up being miserable trying to follow all those drastic rules. And then in the end, you still end up with amazing changes in your life and way more happiness without feeling so much of the burden of it Mm -hmm. when you have to implement those healthy habits Mm -hmm. and slip ups, you know, slip ups, um, we need them Mm -hmm. because you were, you were mentioning that earlier, like, you don't watch TV a lot, but then when you do, you see the effect and you're reminded mm-hmm. of the effect, right, of technology. Mm-hmm. If you never slip up, you're not reminded mm-hmm. of why it is that you're doing all that. So what I know my clients, I tell them, you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you've, you've had like three days of treats. How were you feeling? Mm-hmm. And very often they're like, oh my gosh, I felt like crap. I, you know, I had no energy. It was mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, here you are. That's why your slip up was so important mm-hmm. to, to have and go through because mm-hmm. this is the only way we can learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's so true. I, you know, we try to do things like all the way through all the time, hundred percent. Um, but the slip ups each time you have like a slip up, you know, it just brings you closer to the type of person that you want to be. So the slip ups become less and less, the more that you work towards this version of yourself. And um, I couldn't agree with that more, you know, a lot. And I'm, uh, you know, so glad that we brought this up because when people do slip up, they just give up altogether. Like that wasn't cut out. What healthy lifestyle is just not for me, you know? And then it's just so easy to give up, but it's like, no, like expect that it's going to happen, but then learn from it because that's how we, that's how we grow. Like we make the mistake. So we're like, Oh, I don't like how that made me feel. So I can learn from it and apply it next time. And it it does like get smaller and smaller until soon. It's just a way of life. Like, just like you, it's just how you show up and how you live. Uh, So you mentioned the small step. So let's talk about a small action step that someone can take that, you know, might consider themselves a sugar addict and they just can never give up sugar and they love sugar, which by the way, is just our, you know, sugar has tricked our brain in believing that it is necessary for survival. (laughs) So you'll, you'll be okay without sugar. We promise. (laughs) What's a small, tiny, not intimidating, cute little step that someone could take today. Okay, so I I would say, you know, don't eliminate sweetness from your life, but eliminate the fake sugar to start with. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the the white powdered sugar and that kind of stuff, like eliminate that Mm -hmm. for a week to start with. Mm -hmm. And instead, every time you you feel like you're okay, oh, I'm not going to have sugar, I'm not going to have sugar, then you add extra vegetables Mm -hmm. and fruit (laughs) that is you know that would be a step because you don't want to just eliminate 
stuff, you mostly want to add the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So add in more vegetables and more fruit. Uh, fruit is very sweet. Um, you know, it can give you this nice taste of sugar, but without the everything that goes with the, with the processed sugar. Yeah. So maybe that could be a, a, a place to start um, to kind of reset, as you were mentioning, you know, yeah. reset the body. And when you eliminate fake sugar, it forces you to, to read food labels and stuff. So it brings mm -hmm. awareness and mindfulness mm -hmm. uh, into the picture. That yeah. would be the first step. Yeah, it's a, per it's a wonderful first step because that was my introduction. Was I did the whole 30 because I was very similar to you. Like, give me all the different diets because I want to change, you know, what I look like on the outside, not realizing the benefit of the inside. But when I did the whole 30, it changed everything because I was well aware of how much added sugar is in everything that we eat. Um, and sometimes you're eating close to, if you're, paying attention and like tracking it all like I can have sometimes close to like 70 grams of sugar like without even trying so it's so crazy so before we you know hop off this amazing interview I just want to touch on like why is sugar such a problem well one of the reasons I think is that we really love that instant gratification and sugar, you know, gives us that the dopamine has like, Ooh, do it yeah. again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, carbs again, like when we eat carbs, we get serotonin also. And, and this is really serotonin is the, the hormone, the happy chemical, but also the hormone of self-esteem. It's called self-esteem. And so every time we, we eat sugar, um, not to mention, you know, everything that uh, the food industry is trying to do to make us eat more sugar, right? But just at a hormone level, it's like we get that sense of self-esteem, self-trust, you know, like it, it, it really makes us feel better. Mm -hmm. So I think the problem is, I think, the, the way I see it is the problem is sugar where it's not sweet. I, I really encourage people to eliminate any kind of sugar in anything that doesn't taste sweet. You know, soup, salad dressing, mm -hmm. like everything, pretty much every processed food has sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And when I work with my clients, I tell them, listen, if it's a treat and there's sugar in it, don't worry about it for now. Mm -hmm. But if it's not sweet, if it's not a treat, there should not be sugar mm -hmm. in it. And it's funny how even like, um, you know, in, in Europe, when we cook, we do not add that extra little teaspoon of sugar in the recipes. And in so many recipes here in the U.S., I was surprised to see, oh, why is there sugar in here? Like, why is there sugar when I make bread like this? We don't, I don't need sugar. Uh, bread doesn't have sugar, you know? So this is really... Sugar should not be in anything that's not sweet. Mm -hmm. There's no need for it. And that's the, first, that's the first place where we can eliminate sugar is from everything we eat that is not a, a sweet treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, in the moment you might not notice something, but like, again, like the long-term effects of having so much sugar, I mean, like that's, you know, we're trying to be, preventative right so it's like by 
being aware and just mindful about the sugar consumption and the cravings that we have thinking of the long term like of where we want to be you know in a year in three years and five years and 10 years like health wise in particular it's like it's so interesting with me with sugar when my skin is at its worst it's when i have indulged in processed sugar, like 110%. So my skin is like, I, we don't know what's going on. I can't see what's going on on my insides, but my skin, I feel like is letting me know, Hey, you're inflamed. Like you've had too much, like, and it's just that little like check-in reminder of like, Oh yeah, you don't really like how this feels. So again, it's like that slip up to remind, to take me closer to how I want to feel moving forward. So, um, yeah, it's just curious about like what, what you thought about that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to know that, you know, our guts play a huge role in that too. So the more sugar we eat or the more regularly, mm-hmm. the more our guts will want sugar. Like it's like, you know, sh- bacteria in our guts yes. feeding off of sugar. So if, if we feed them, they will grow and they will want more sugar. If we start um, feeding them less and less regularly, then those colonies of bacteria that do feed on sugar are going to kind of shrink. And when they shrink, they're not going to be that hungry. Mm-hmm. So they won't ask for more. Mm-hmm. So this is really key to battling uh, sugar cravings. It's mm-hmm. like we have to feed colonies of bacteria that do not feed on sugar. That's why I was recommending, you know, adding vegetables and fruits, because then we feed those colonies that want more fiber more nutrients, more vitamins. We don't feed the colonies that want more sugar. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we kind of starve them off. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's like, so it's such, that's why I think getting in the practice of doing some sort of, you know, not necessarily cleanse, but just like a little reboot from, mm-hmm. from these certain types of foods every every couple times a year is just a good little reset, little check-in. And then you see how good you feel without it. And it changes everything. I mean, the first two weeks are totally awful because you're withdrawing. Like you're literally having withdrawal symptoms when you cut out coffee, when you cut out flour, when you cut out sugar. But once you get past that, energy levels go up. It's easier to focus, less foggy brain. So that's the same example of like delayed gratification. It's like, can we be in it for the long run and no longer seek that like instant dopamine hit? Um, well, Stella, thank you so much. This was such an informative, amazing conversation. I appreciate you so much and all that you do. I feel like I have so much to continue to learn from you. So I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to sit down and chat. Um, Where can people find you? I'll make sure that I link your book in the show notes, but if there's anything else that you have going on. Yeah. So, I mean, people can visit my website. It's allonzycoaching.com, A-L-L-O-N-Z coaching.com. And there is one thing there that might really be helpful for them when it comes to um, sleep, improving sleep and seeing what might be getting in the way. It's a checklist of 100 um, apparently harmless behaviors or, you know, things happening in our life mm. that can completely ruin our sleep. So I would really encourage them to to download that and look at l- the list and see, oh, yeah, maybe this is why my sleep is not optimal. Uh, out of 100, um, I'm sure there are a few that... <laughs> 
<laughs> we can all work on. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like things that seem totally harmless and, um, you know, that's very sneaky. And they make such a big difference. Yeah, I will make sure I put that in the, the show notes. Great. Thank you. And thank you so much again for, for having me. And I really love the, the conversation. And yeah, I hope we'll be able to collaborate more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is awesome. Thank you so, so much.